This, this passage that we're going through has actually been, oh man, the last year and a half, kind of my life passage that I just continually have gone to and, and have really, the Lord has just really just, just ministered to my heart through this passage. This has kind of been my life's cry for the last year, year, two, two years now. So I pray that it's going to be a blessing to you as much as it's been a blessing to me. I'm going to start and read. The whole passage, uh, we're going to be Exodus 33, verses 12 through 16, and then we'll come back and we'll dive into the text and see what God has to say for us. Exodus 33, 12, the Bible says, Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight. And consider that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have embraced in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. In May of 1845, the ship Erebus and its sister ship Terror sailed out from the River Thames in England, carrying 128 men that were under the command of Sir John Franklin. Their mission to traverse the last unnavigated sections of the Northwest Passage, the long salt passage that connected the Pacific to the Atlantic Ocean through the, the frigid waters of Canada. With strength and more vessels that had already proven their worth in the Antarctic, the Franklin Expedition was well equipped and thoroughly trained. However, the expedition was met with disaster when both ships became icebound in 1846. After being icebound for more than a year, a Rebus and Terror were abandoned in April of 1848. At this point, 24 men had already passed away on the ship. The survivors that were left decided to leave the ship and set out for the Canadian mainland on foot. They all disappeared. All 100, 100 and 29 men presumably having perished in the Arctic. I can just imagine the sheer terror and horror of all 129 of these men as they, as they struggled to survive in the Arctic for two years, right? As, they're, as, they're, as they're, they're constantly wondering in their mind, what have we gotten ourselves into? How do we get out of this uh, freezing, cold, a brutal expedition that ultimately led to them being overwhelmed to the point where they all perished. And while we're not Arctic explorers here today, I'm sure that there's some of us that can metaphorically relate to these 129 men who have tried to navigate through unknown situations and uncertainties of life, that have dealt with constant struggles, who have took three steps forward, or have took, sorry, uh, for every, for one step forward, they took it three steps back. 
And while the Franklin Expedition is a tragic story, the good news for the Christian today is that in the midst of the unknown mysteries of life, our ship does not have to sink. Because while we may not understand exactly what is going on, and we may not be able to navigate the unknown areas of life on our own, we have access to the one who is all-loving, all-knowing, and all-powerful. I want to encourage us today with the truth that when we don't know what to do, we don't know where to go, and we don't understand why situations of life are happening, the presence of God along our journey brings peace, hope, and rest. As we look at this passage this morning, we'll see Moses go from panic to peace as he understands that, that all is hopeless apart from God's wisdom and guidance in his life. As we look at the beginning of chapter 33 of Exodus, we see a command from God to Moses to leave Mount Sinai and go to the promised land. God comes to Moses in verse 1. He says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and dwell from here, you and the people whom ye have brought of the land of Egypt, to the land just where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God commands Moses, leave, leave Mount Sinai and go on to the promised land. But there's only one problem. After God tells Moses to go on to the promised land, God tells Moses that while he's going to provide the way for them with an angel, and he's going to give them the promised land, that his presence is not going to continue on with them. You see, in, in, in chapter 32 of Exodus, while Moses was up on Mount Sinai talking with God, the people of Israel, the children of Israel, were down at base camp building a golden calf. They were building an idol because they felt like Moses had been gone too long. They felt like God was nowhere to be found. So they said, we're going to take that into our own hands, and we're going to build our own God. So right before this, they, they built this golden calf. They, they forsaken God. So God basically tells Moses, because of the sin of your people, I can no longer go on with you. And really what this was was an act of mercy because God had promised the, the, the fathers of the Israelites that he would give them the promised land. Yet God says, listen, Moses, if I was to continue to go on with these rebellious, hard-hearted people, I would destroy them all, basically, is what he's saying. So he's saying, because I promised this land to you, it's better for you all if I just stay behind. Because if I go with you, you're probably not going to make it because of, because of the sin that's in your lives. Because of the hardness of the, Israel's, of the Israelites' um, hearts, we see that God distances himself from them. In verses 7 through 11, we see that, that, that the actual meeting place of God has even now moved outside of the Israelites' camp. The, the, the tent of meeting where they would go to meet with God has gone from inside the camp where it's supposed to be among, the, among, among God's people in their presence. And, and God's meeting place has now moved to a distant place because of the sin of the Israelites. What a terrible place to be. A place to be where, you know, when you feel like you need them most, God's, you feel like God's distanced himself from you. A place where your sin and your rebellion and the hardness of your heart has gotten so bad that God says it's better if I don't go on with you because, because of the rate you're going. If you continue on this path, um, I'm a God of love, but I'm also a God of judgment. So this brings us to verse 12, right? So in verse 12, at the beginning of our passage, basically what we see is Moses having in a, a conversation, or more, more really an argument, 
with God about everything God has just told him. So Moses is processing what exactly God just told him. And so Moses begins to have a conversation. As we look at verses 12 and 13, I'm going to read them again. As, as, as I read the text, feel the tension and the confusion in Moses' heart as he wrestles with the idea of having to go to the promised land without God's presence in the midst of them. Just, just as I read the text, just put yourself in Moses' feet and just, just, just feel the, the angst and the anxiety and the worry that he has. God, what are you, what are you saying? Verse 12, then Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet, you said, you know me by name. You say, I found grace in your sight. Now, I pray if I have truly found grace in your sight, show me your way that I may know you and may find grace in your sight. And consider that this nation is your people. Frustrated, upset, maybe even angry with God. You know, when we when we look at the life of Moses and when we look at Moses' journey from, from the burning bush all the way to now, Moses never once felt capable of leading the children of Israel to begin with. In Exodus 3:10, when, when God approaches Moses, the, the Bible says, Come now, therefore, this is God speaking. He says, Come now, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh that he may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Listen, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, speaking of God, I will certainly be with you. Moses already at the beginning, he said, God, I can't, I can't do this on my own. He said, who am I? What power do I have to bring the, the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage? In chapter 4, we see another conversation between Moses and God, in which Moses tells God, listen, you want me to lead these people, and everybody can do it with words. He says, I can tongue tied, I can't speak well, how am I going to lead a people I cannot even communicate with? And in chapter 4, once again, God tells him, he says, Then the Lord asked Moses, Who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you. And what to say. So I'm sure that as Moses is having this conversation with God, and God's saying, Listen, Moses, my presence can't continue with cannot continue on with you. Moses in his mind is running back and saying, but, but but God, you told me that you would be with me. You told me you would give me the words to say. You told me that you would journey with me along this whole entire route because I'm not capable of doing good on my own. Think of the questions that are running through his mind. The questions he even asked me in the text, God, you say you know me by name. We speak face to face. We have an intimate relationship. You tell me I have favor. You told me you would be with me. I can imagine Moses was probably thinking in his mind, I wish I would have just stayed at my father in law's farm. I had a loving family. I had a steady job. I should have never made this crazy decision to lead these people. I'm sure Moses is even questioning God. Maybe I made a mistake in following your command. Maybe he's questioning himself. I can imagine Moses saying, why would you bring me this far just to leave me? Feel the frustration of Moses as he feels as if God has deserted him 
He feels as if God has abandoned him. He feels as if God has forsaken him. And as we look at this text, isn't that truly Moses' point of pain? Because God tells Moses at the beginning of chapter 33, he says, I'm, I'm giving you the promised land. He says, I'm going to send an angel before you to protect you. But none of that mattered to Moses because God himself was not going. Essentially, what Moses is saying to God is, God, if you truly love me, God, if you truly know me, if you're true to keep your promises, and if these people are truly your people, you would continue to go with us. I even like look at uh, verse, look at verse 13. At the end of verse 13, Moses tells God, look, he says, and consider that this nation is your people, right? So if you go back to Exodus chapter 32, verse 7, after, after the people had built the golden calf, God speaks to Moses in Exodus 32, verse 7, says, The Lord told Moses, Quick, go down the mountain, your people whom you have brought. So God is telling Moses, he's like, you know, these people are rebellious, they're in sin, these are your people, right? And he says, your people who you have brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. And now in, 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 verse, in chapter 33, verse 13, Moses saying, hold up, God, hold up. These are not my people. These are your people. I believe that another true internal struggle that Moses would have been really grappling with was the fact that he had obeyed God's commands. Moses wasn't the one that was building the golden calf. Moses had followed God's will for his life. Everything that God told Moses to do, he did. He led the people out of Egypt. He led them across the Red Sea. He led them to Mount Sinai. And I can imagine that Moses was really struggling with God. I'm serving you. I'm following you. I'm doing what you've told me to do. Yet now, where are you? Right? And can I tell you that I've been guilty of this myself in the last two years alone, where I feel like, God, I followed your will for my life. God, I, I've tried to seek you in everything that I do. Yet it's like the doors that you open lead to dead ends. The doors that you've opened close just as fast right behind me. There's an internal struggle. There's a, there, there, there's a grappling with what exactly is going on in my life. As, as I navigate the unknown areas of life, as I, as I deal with uncertainties, it's like, God, 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 why? God, 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 I've done what you've told me to do. I've served you faithfully, Lord. Why, why are you abandoning me now? Why are you deserting me, God? I need you, Lord. I never wanted to do this without you. I'm sure many of us have been in that same place before. Confused, perplexed, frustrated with God, feeling as if God has forsaken you, forsaken your family, you've forsaken your church, where you follow God's leading, you've trusted his guidance, and when you need him the most, it seems as if he's abandoned you. God, where are you, right? God, you led me to this job. God, you brought me to this church. God, I earnestly sought you every step of the way. And now, as fast as you were opening doors, you're closing them. 
You know, in, in the midst of our uncertainty and, and with the finite knowledge that we have, a lot of times we begin to question God and think that maybe he doesn't know what he's doing. Sometimes we think that maybe we know better. You know, I, I knew I should have did that. I knew I should have did something different. And other times we feel like Moses where we just feel like God's abandoned us. There are seasons of life when things don't make sense, where we have to navigate unknown territory. And listen, it's okay to cry out to God. But as we cry out, our end goal should be to know him better. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 tells us, it says, For my faults are not your faults, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. In verse 13, Moses understands that. Moses says, he says, Lord, show me now your way. He says, I'm frustrated. I don't understand what's going on. But Lord, show me your way. Because obviously I'm not understanding what is going on. The uncertainties of life drew Moses closer to God. Listen, God may bring difficulties into your life to help reorient our hunger and cause us to crave a deeper connection with Him. While, while, while Moses couldn't make sense of this situation, he told God to show him his ways. He said, God, God, I don't have to make sense of it because I know the one who knows. I know the one who it makes sense to. So, so even though I'm confused, even though I'm perplexed, God, I just want to draw closer to you. I want to know your ways. And then as Moses sought God, God made his ways known. Look at verse 14. In response to the cry of Moses, God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Moses saw God. James 4, 8 tells us, it says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. You know, I've, I've, I've heard it said this way. You know, a lot of times we feel like God is far from us. We feel like, we feel like, like there's a misconnection, a disconnection between us and God. But I've heard it said, you're as close to God as you want to be. Isn't that what James 4, 8 tells us? Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. So if you're in a season of life where you feel like God is distant, where you feel like God has abandoned you, have you drawn closer to him? Have you said, God, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what's going on, but show me your ways. Have you said, God, I want to know you more. God, I need to know your ways. I need to know your, your path. I need to know what you have for me. God, I just want more of you. And as a result, God provides two things that we see in verse 14. We see his presence and we see rest. As we draw close to God, God provides his presence and he provides rest. Now, rest is just a byproduct, a byproduct of God's presence. So it's not like these are two separate things. You got God's presence over here and God's rest over here. No, when, when God's presence is in the midst of you, when God's presence journeys along with you on the path of life, there is a rest that comes with that. Listen, the rest that Moses was given was rest in knowing that God is in control. That God's in control of the unknown. He's in control of uncertainties. He's in control of the darkest times of our lives. 
Listen, Moses knew that the promised land was his. God promised that. But he didn't know what would happen once he got there. With God's presence gone from them, the children of Israel faced, faced real danger. They faced uncertainty. They faced the unknown of knowing that they were on their own. Yet with God's presence now promised to be with them, they were able to rest in knowing that no matter what happened, God was in control. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. I think that we need to be comforted in knowing that when we feel as if God has abandoned us, that his presence is promised to be with us always. Even in the darkest seasons of life, when it seems that he's far away. And if you don't believe me, believe his word. In Deuteronomy 31, 8, the Bible says, The Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear, nor be dismayed. In Psalms 27, 10, the Bible says, When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Joshua 1, 9 says, Have I not commanded you to be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Listen, true rest is found only in the presence of God. This has been something in my own life that has came really real to me. Again, within the last, you know, the last month or two months, that true rest is found in the presence of God. And the question for us, the question that I really had to grapple with and wrestle with is, do you truly believe that God is in control? You know, you'll only find rest when that head knowledge is turned into heart knowledge. One thing I have realized is that I have been telling myself, God is in control. I know that. I know the Bible says he's in control. Yet at the same time, while I'm saying that God is in control, I'm full of stress, I'm full of anxiety, I'm full of worry, I'm full of fear. So I'm saying God is in control, but obviously within my heart I'm believing something different. I'm believing as I'm navigating through the unknown, as I'm dealing with uncertainties in life, that I'm doing it alone is what, is what, is what my heart believes. So I really had to wrestle with it. I had to repent of that. I had to repent and say, God, you are in control. And that head knowledge of God is in control had to be converted to heart knowledge. When that happens, that's when you can go from wrestling to resting, from questioning to trusting, where you fully understand that the only peace and comfort is found in the presence of God. Knowledge without transformation leads to full heads and empty hearts. And I believe that's a lot of Christians today, that's where we are, that's what we struggle with. We know the Bible, we know what the Bible says, we know all the Bible stories, but our hearts are empty. We know what it says, but do we truly believe what it says? From verse 14, from verse 14 one thing I really want us to just grab a hold of is the fact that God is always near. That he hasn't forsaken us, he hasn't abandoned us, that he's waiting with arms of grace to give you rest. His presence is always available, but we have to earnestly yearn for it. And then let's move on to verse 15. In verse 15, the Bible says, Then he said to him, speaking of Moses is now talking back to God, Moses said to God, 
If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. And at the beginning of this, uh, beginning of the message, I told you that this passage was kind of been one of my, my theme passages that I really have gone to in the last two years. But, but really this verse in and of itself has been a comfort and a guide for me. If your presence does not go with us, God, if your presence does not go with me, do not bring me up from here. In verse 15, we see that Moses has a full-blown embrace of trusting God's plan. Moses relinquishes all control and says, God, take the reins. Moses, you know, he, do, he did what we said, let go and let God. He recognizes the danger to moving on from Mount Sinai to the promised land without the hand of God leading them. Think about it. Moses would rather stay in the desert with God than go on to the promised land without him. That's a question we've got to wrestle with ourselves and really reflect on and ask ourselves is, are we okay with the blessings of God if we don't have the presence of God? And sadly, I think that the answer for a lot of us is yes, that as long as God's blessing is on our life, then if his presence is there or not, I don't think it really means a whole lot to us. But Moses understands that nothing compares to knowing that the Lord is walking with you. Amen. This is not just a formality either on Moses' behalf. Moses isn't just saying, you know, just, just because he grew up a good, you know, a good Jew or whatever. He's not just saying, God, your presence doesn't go with us. I, I don't want to go. This, this isn't just Moses just trying to say words that sound good. This was a genuine concern on Moses' behalf. Part of the reason I can assume was because if, if God did not go with them, Moses understood the dangers, the, the, the literal, physical dangers that they faced as they went on. And in verse 32, we see that on their way to the promised land, there's Canaanites, there's Amorites, there's Hittites, there's Perizzites, there's Hittites, there's Jebusites. Listen, there's enemies all around them. So Moses understands physically, Lord, if you don't go with us, I'm not going. But then obviously I think there's a spiritual aspect of it too, that Moses knows that he's incapable of leading God's children on his own. Moses knows that he is not um, equipped or trained, and that the only reason he's made it this far is because God has been with him. He's saying, listen, I've made it this far because of you. The only reason I'm going to make it any farther is because of you. Moses says, God, we're going to do it your way with you and not alone. Proverbs 3, 3, 5, and 6, Pastor Eric preached on this last week. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Isn't this what Moses was doing? Moses was trusting the Lord with all his heart. Proverbs 16, 3 says, commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Psalms 37, 23 says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Listen, Moses knew that true peace, true rest, true prosperity would come only by God's continued presence with his people. 
And then we see in verse 16, Moses connects. There's a connection between verse 15 and verse 16. Verse 16 says, For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except to go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. Moses says, says, says God, another reason that I'm not going on without you is because your presence with us is a testimony not only to, to us that you're on our side, but it's a testimony to others as well. When others look and they see that your presence is with us, they see something different. They said, well, we're separate from them. Yet, when we continue on without you, we're just as they are. He says, if you're not in it, I don't want it. Like I said, this, 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 this verse right here was, was my heart's cry, especially when I was in Florida, the, the, end of, the end of our time in Florida, when I was just really, I, God had opened up a couple different opportunities, a couple different doors for my family and I as we continued just our journey, and I didn't know which one to go down. I didn't, and I didn't want to make the decision. And this verse, uh, it just, it was the one I leave on, Lord, if your presence is not going with us, Lord, whether you send us to Missouri, Lord, whether we go to Ohio, whether we go to Georgia, Lord, your presence does not go with us. I do not want to go. Lord, I'd rather stay in Jacksonville, where I'm at, than go somewhere knowing that your presence is not going to be with me. Listen, you can have God's blessing and not have, yet not have the presence of God with you. Listen, you can lead a church. You can preach a sermon. You can be successful at your job. And many other things in the name of God and with God's blessing. But, uh, but if you don't bring God with you while you do those things, there's a real danger. You know, I've heard it said, I've heard it, there's a song I listen to, and in the song it says, You can build a Christian empire without God. How scary of a thought is that? That, that things that are good. You know, leading a church, preaching a sermon, doing a lot of our jobs, things that are good, and we can excel at them. Yet there's a there's a there's an aspect of where we can lean on our own talents, our own understandings, we can lean on our on our own wisdom and knowledge in doing that. And God's presence isn't even with us throughout the whole entire thing. That's that's a scary reality. That we can be successful in life, we can have God's blessing in life, yet not have God. As we navigate the unknown, as we go through life, I pray that we would all have the same heart as Moses in reaffirming the priority of God's presence in all that we do. Listen, when you also when you give God full control, and we see in verse 16, not only is it a testimony to others, but we talked about before, it's an encouragement to others. As people look at your life and they see you going through unknown and, and uncertainties and trials and tribulations, and they look at you, you're set apart when they can look at you and say, listen, I, he's going through a lot. But I can tell there's something different. I can tell that God's presence is with him through this whole entire thing. I can tell you something, even, even myself has been encouraged, was a real big encouragement to me. I have a I have a pastor friend in Georgia who I just talk with about, about different things that are going on and whatnot, and, and you know, when, when I'm having these talks with him, it's, I'm kind of being, um, 
talking to him just to be encouraged by him, you know, just he's giving me words of encouragement and things like that. So I'm having to talk to him thinking that he can maybe help to me. And the other day when I was talking to him, you know, he, he, he told me, he said, you know, talking with you and hearing how even in the midst of all that you're going through, that you decided to fully trust God has really encouraged me. And it was just like, like I'm talking to you to get encouragement from you, yet at the same time, I'm encouraging you. But people notice, people notice when you fully trust God, when you navigate through life, through the unknown, with God's presence on you. The safest place to be in the world is in the will of God. Alright, Moses knew that. Once again, Moses said, God, I'd rather stay in the desert in your presence, in your will, than go on to the promised land without you. As we face uncertainty and questions in life, when things don't make sense, when we have no idea what we're going to do, make sure that God is leading the way. If you were offered the promised land, but God's presence was at Sinai, what would you do? When it seems as if God is distant and you're worried about the uncertainties and mysteries of life, when you're worried about navigating through the stormy and dark, choppy, unknown waters, draw near to God and remember that He is God and you are not. Listen, some of us, as we, as we navigate through these, through these questions and, that, and we get frustrated with God, for some of us, God will be doing the same thing to you that he did to me and pruning our hearts and taking us to a place where our head knowledge has to become heart knowledge. Maybe that's why you're going through a difficult time. Maybe, maybe God wants you to have a closer, more intimate relationship with him. Because when that happens, it forces us to return to him. It forces our faith to become real. It reassures us that he is in control. Rest. That's where that rest comes from. There's as long as we think that we have control of anything, as long as we think that we can we can um, be the, the choosers and makers of our own lives, there's always going to be stress. Now obviously we have responsibilities, but when we ultimately put things into the Lord's hand, there, there's, I'm, I'm telling you from experience, I promise, there is a true rest that you are able to find when you say, Lord, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm trusting you, Lord. Lord, whether it ends up this way, I'm going to praise you. And if it ends up this way, I'm going to praise you, Lord, because you're God and I am not. And ultimately remember that you're fighting a battle. Whatever battle you're fighting, we're all fighting battles. You know, no matter how good things are going in your life, we're fighting a battle that Christ has already won. As I close, I just want to read these lyrics of, of a song that's really been um, helpful to me. It's called, it's called You Already Won. And in the song, the writer says, he says, there's mercy in the waiting, manna for today. And when it's gone, I know you're not. You are my hope and stay. And when the sea is raging, your spirit is my help. Listen, he'll fix my eyes on Jesus Christ. I'll say that it is well. Oh, I know that it is well. I'm fighting a battle you've already won. No matter what comes my way, 
I will overcome. Don't know what you're doing, but I know what you've done. I'm fighting a battle you've already